in many ways, uh, Naomi is like us. Have you noticed how when, even when you try to do something good and something that is right, uh, you're very clumsy at it. And we often stumble and we trip over our own feet when we try to do something good. So we saw how Naomi came back to Bethlehem empty, suffering in great misery. And as God begins to show her steadfast love and kindness, Naomi's heart begins to open up and she begins to remember that her daughter-in-law Ruth was also suffering. And she begins to remember that she also loves her. And she begins to think about her welfare. But the plan that she came up with to, to help Ruth was actually not a great plan. Her intentions were good. The plan was a lousy plan. And so we saw in the last chapter, chapter 3, that Naomi's unwise plan which she came up with out of fear and desperation. She meant well, but it was an unwise plan that exposed Boaz and Ruth to a compromising situation. But we also saw that the light of Boaz's and Ruth's integrity break through the spiritual darkness that saturated the days when the judges ruled, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so we saw how, once again, Ruth proved herself a worthy woman. And she asked Boaz to be the redeemer of Naomi's ruined family. Now, it was a costly love. When Ruth asked a much older Boaz to be her redeemer, Ruth chose once again to become a young widow in order to rescue Naomi. And Boaz immediately recognized the kindness behind Ruth's request. And we saw in chapter 3 how eager and how he was more than willing to honor Ruth's selfless kindness and be her redeemer. But there was just one problem. So we read in, in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Boaz said, It is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So that's where we ended last week. And today, as we come to chapter 4, the first thing we see is a very bad investment. A very bad investment. So as soon as the sun rose and as soon as it was day, Boaz went to the uh, gate. Uh, in those days, uh, people slept uh, in houses that were within walled a city. And that's how you protect yourself and your family. But uh, when the morning dawns, you leave through the city gates to go out and work in the field. And so the city gate functioned as, as a, a place where many people passed through, and the city gate was where the leaders of the city uh, sat and made important legal decisions. And this is where Boaz came to, the place where people gathered and important decisions were made. 
And we read in verse 1, And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. Now what's really interesting is that uh, both Boaz and the author of Ruth intentionally does not tell us the name of this Redeemer. In our English Bible, we read that Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Actually, the Hebrew expression is a little bit more generic. It's, the Hebrew expression is um, uh, so-and-so. So the author uh, seems to me makes a very deliberate choice to not to mention uh, his name. And I think we'll see why uh, very soon. So Boaz sees this uh, man who was a nearer kin to Naomi, and he says, Mr. So-and-so, come and sit with me. And Boaz gathered 10 elders as witnesses, and he presented Naomi's situation to the man. And so in verses 3 and 4, Boaz says, Naomi is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. Now, the background uh, for this is in Leviticus chapter 25. There, uh, God told Moses the duties and the rights of a redeemer. And so, how it works was that if you uh, fall into hard times, And if you are forced to sell your properties because of financial difficulties, then your nearest relative, your nearest kin, had both the right and the duty to purchase the property that you sold. And the intention of that was that your nearest kin would repurchase your lost property with the intention of restoring it back to you. And so this was one way that God provided for the poor in Israel so that one season of hardness does not uh, resign you to generations of poverty. And, it, and the Lord reminded that, that you have a, a duty of love towards your kinsmen. And so what would happen then is that uh, the nearest kin would act a part of a redeemer, purchase the property, and he would restore that property to the impoverished family member. Uh, But if the impoverished family member who sold the property has no heirs, the property would eventually return to the Redeemer and would be added to his estate. And you remember that Elimelech had no heirs. You see, he had two sons, Killian and Malon, but they died, and they died childless. And so when this uh, redeemer, this Mr. So-and-so, hears about the situation, he realizes this is a very profitable investment opportunity because he sees that Elimelech left no heirs behind, meaning the property that he purchases will one day be added to his property. And so he says, I will redeem it. But Boaz wasn't done. So in verse 5, he says, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, 
You also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, the background for this is in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And there, uh, the Lord instructed Moses that if a man dies childless, then his brother is to marry the widow. And any child resulting from that uh, was considered the legal heir of the dead brother. And he would not be considered the son of the brother, but he would be considered the legal heir and would inherit uh, the dead man's property. And so what Boaz is telling him is that if you buy the land, oh, by the way, Ruth comes with it. And if you buy the land, your responsibility includes having a child, raising up a child, and passing down to that child the property that you are purchasing. And so this man suddenly realizes that if Ruth comes with the land, then there was a chance that he would lose his entire investment. And so verse 6, he says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. You see, he realizes that this is not the, the great investment opportunity that he once thought it was. He sees the great risk associated with it, and he says, I think I'll pass. A bad investment. And that brings us next to a costly redemption, a costly redemption. So once Mr. So-and-so realized the cost, uh, he relinquished his claim. But then we see something amazing. Boaz, knowing the cost, he gladly became the Redeemer. So he gathers the elders and he tells them in verses 9 and 10, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers, and from the gate of his native place. You are my witnesses this day. Now, when you listen to that, uh, I'm sure it sounded a little jarring because to our ears, you know, if you buy a plot of land, fine. But Boaz also says that I have bought Ruth. And to our ears, Boaz buying Ruth sounds jarring. It sounds degrading because you and I, of course, understand how is it ever right to buy and sell a human being? But I think we need to understand that this is a time when widows were counted worthless. And you remember that Mr. So-and-so had just passed over Ruth as not worth the bother. So what really is Boaz buying? 
Well, Boaz purchased the right to be diminished. He knows what's involved when he takes on the responsibility of a redeemer. That whatever money he spends to purchase Naomi's property will not be his, but it will go to the heir that uh, that will not be counted his own child, but the child of a dead man. So what Boaz is purchasing is that he purchased the right to be diminished. He purchased the right to suffer loss, and he purchased the right to put the interest of ruined people before his own interest. That's what he purchased. And I think that's important for us to remember. If to our modern ears, uh, if we stumble over the statement that uh, this man, the rich old man, bought a young man, you know, that sounds just so awful, doesn't it? But what he did actually, against the backdrop of their time and culture, what it did was to purchase the right to suffer loss. What it did was to pay a great sum of money in the interest of these impoverished and ruined people and to bear the cost himself. It was a costly love. And to ratify the transaction, you see that Mr. So-and-so and Boaz confirmed the transaction. And once again, we come across something that sounds so strange to our ears in verses 7 and 8. So, the, so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Um, this is such a strange practice, isn't it? And... Uh, you can tell that by the time Ruth was written, this practice had already faded. It was no longer being practiced. Uh, and, in, and this practice seems to be related to the fact that in those days, uh, property boundaries were drawn according to the number of steps that were needed to travel a distance uh, within a given period of time. So the way that they drew uh, property boundaries was, you know, how many steps can you take in one day's journey? That was the boundary. And this practice of uh, uh, giving uh, your own sandal seems related to that in some symbolic way. That's just an interesting little tidbit. But what's interesting is that the elders who witnessed the transaction clearly understood the significance of both what was being said and what was being done. So they blessed Boaz and Ruth, and they said in verses 11 and 12, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Now, if you remember, um, Jacob He loved Rachel. He couldn't care less about Leah. And Leah was forced at time, she was barren. She was the hated wife, neglected wife, suffering wife. But God in his grace and mercy caused Leah to bear children. And it was from Leah, the neglected, hated woman, the line of the Messiah eventually comes. And I think these elders are making some important connections. 
Just as God showed favor to the one who was suffering, just as God showed grace to one who was neglected and who was in need, may he do that once again for you. And the elders continued and saying, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Um, if you go back to Genesis, uh, Judah, uh, his two sons, died uh, because they were wicked in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord killed them. And when his third son was grown up, uh, he would not let him carry out the duties of a brother to raise up heirs for his dead brothers. And so, you know, without getting too much into the details, uh, the circumstances look very much like uh, here, a brother stepping up to fulfill the role of a redeemer. And out of the relationship, uh, Judah became a great tribe of people. And so the elders, once again, make the connection that from out of this tragedy of death, God can bring about increase and blessing. And they blessed Boaz and they blessed Ruth. And they said, the Lord will, uh, uh, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. If Ruth had followed all of Naomi's plans in chapter 3, and again, Naomi's plan for Ruth in chapter 3 was, Go to the man in the middle of the night when he's sleeping after having had a drink or two. Wake him up. Wink, wink, and he'll tell you what to do. So you see, Naomi was acting out of fear and out of desperation. And the advice, the counsel that Naomi gave to Ruth wasn't a God-honoring Plan. And if Ruth had followed through everything that Naomi had told her, it is doubtful that such praise and honor would have come to Boaz and Ruth. At the very least, if Ruth had seduced Boaz that night and if Boaz had fallen into the seduction, at the very least, questions would have been raised about the impropriety of Boaz cutting in the line ahead of Mr. So-and-so who was first in line to redeem. And Ruth, if she had followed through everything that Naomi had said, Ruth would no longer be known in the community as a worthy woman, but simply as a Moabite woman who did what Moabite women do best, which is seduce Israelite men. But Boaz and Ruth both honored the Lord, and they were honored. And once again, I think this is a place where we need to remember the kind of counsel that Naomi gave to Ruth was what I called last week a utilitarian counsel. Utilitarianism is a branch of ethics today. It's the, the view that says the end justifies the means. Okay? It doesn't matter how you get to what you want. As long as you get there, that's all that matters. 
And it's very much in line with our culture. Our culture is, is a pragmatic culture in which we say whatever works. Whatever works for what? Whatever works toward getting what you want. Our culture is very much utilitarian and pragmatic culture. It doesn't matter how you do it, it doesn't matter how you get there, as long as you get what you want. Now, if you think about it, that's the ethic of the devil, isn't it? When the devil tempted Jesus, he said, bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. You know what the devil said? God wants you to have the kingdoms of the earth. I want it for you too. I know you want it. Now, how, what does it matter how you get it? I have a way right here. God wants you to have the kingdom. I know you want it too. I want it for you. Just bow down to me and I will give it to you. Christians need to be very aware, be aware and beware of that kind of mindset. And it is to Boaz's and Ruth's credit, it's an example of their integrity that they did not do what was easy and convenient, but they did what was right. And as the Lord told uh, Eli in 1 Samuel, the Lord said, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Boaz and Ruth acted with integrity. And that is why they are now being honored. And that brings us to the third and the last point, which is the kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer. Steadfast love is free, but it is not cheap. Grace is costly to extend. But do you see here? Grace is costly to extend, but it may be more costly to withhold it. Mr. So-and-so refused. He said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. He was so concerned about his future. He was so worried about his legacy. And he did not wish to risk his interest for the sake of another person. But what has come of it? Well, Mr. So-and-so, being so worried about his future and legacy, he removed himself from the only story of lasting permanence. And I think it's intentional that this chapter doesn't even tell us his name. You see, he wanted to secure a future for himself. He wanted to make sure that his family lives on, his name lives on. But we don't even know his name. He became Mr. So and So. But Boaz, he made a decision to lift up the suffering people. He made a choice to give, and he chose to be diminished. And he is the one whose name is remembered and honored. You know, we can be so calculating in the ways of God. You know, we are worried about what it might cost us if we do what God requires us. 
and we do a quick math in our head, and if it doesn't look like it'll pan out, then we say, no, it's not for me. God has a different way of measuring. And he was not the man who was so worried about his legacy who is remembered. It's not the man who was so concerned about his future who has a future, but the man who chose to give, to bear the loss, to lift up the suffering, the man who decided to extend grace at a great cost to himself. It is that man that is remembered and that is honored. And when we read this story, it really moves us, doesn't it? We see in Boaz a beauty of grace, but it does more than to make us admire him. The beauty of grace that we see in Boaz draws our eyes to the one who has come to be our kinsman redeemer. You know, uh, the New Testament frequently describes Jesus' work as the work of redemption. And when the New Testament talks about Jesus' work as a work of redemption, the New Testament writers are doing that in full view of what redemption looks like in the Old Testament. And they are doing it with the expectation that you and I come to understand what Jesus did in light of what redemption looks like in the Old Testament. And so in the New Testament, we read, for example, in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, Paul says that we, we have been justified by His grace, Jesus' grace, as a gift. Gift is free, but it is not cheap. It costs Jesus something through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And again, in Colossians 1, verse 14, in Jesus, in Him, we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Grace that Jesus extended to us, we freely receive. But it is not cheap grace because Jesus' love towards us, towards us was costly. He chose to be diminished. He chose to pay the price for our redemption. He chose to suffer the loss so that he may rescue us. You see, what, what we see in Boaz, that, that which moves us so deeply is drawing our eyes to what Jesus did for you and for me. And it also comforts us because when Ruth asked Boaz to be her redeemer, because he was so much older than Ruth, she knew that she will one day, once again, become a widow. But Jesus is greater than Boaz. Because he who died and rose from the dead, he will never die again. And we, his bride, will always be loved and cherished and sheltered. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer whose grace to us was so costly and lavish. And if so, how can we consider anything too precious for Jesus? How can we say whatever Jesus demands is too much? 
It requires too much sacrifice. It, too mu- it requires too much loss. We can no longer think that way because whatever Jesus demands, it is not precious. Whatever Jesus demands, how can we but give to him knowing that his love for us was so rich, so costly, and so lavish. So loved ones, let me urge you, remember the rich, deep, costly, lavish grace of your kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. And may our love for him also be rich and deep. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for your instructions today, for drawing our eyes uh, through Boaz to the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid a price, who suffered the loss, that we may be rescued, that we may be saved, that we may have hope and future. And Jesus, since you have loved us with such deep, lavish love, help us to return to you as best as we can, a love that is deep and love that is lavish. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen.